1991, this little book was uh, uh, introduced or was uh, published. It's called Life's Little Instruction Book, and it was a surprise bestseller. This is 25 years ago, but it sold 7 million copies. It spent two years on the New York Times bestseller list, including a long stretch at number one. And what it is, is a book written by a man named H. Jackson Brown, not the musician, but a copywriter from an ad agency in Nashville, Tennessee. And what it is, is a collection of wisdom and insight that he wrote for his son, Adam, as Adam headed off to college. He decided, I want to just summarize everything that I've ever learned, every practical piece of advice, and I want to put this into a book. And somebody saw fit to publish it, and the next thing you know, it was a bestseller. But what he did is he wanted to pass on to his son everything that he knew that would lead to a happy and successful life. So let me give you some examples of what you find in this book. By the way, they're all numbered, so I'll mention the number, number 239. This is for our Christmas season that we've just come through. He says, watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, every Christmas. Or number 472, enjoy real maple syrup, not the cornstarch kind. Um, Number uh, 60, admit your mistakes. That's a tough one, isn't it? Um, The next three have to do with um, how we think about money. Number 17, live beneath your means. Number 84, forget the Joneses. And number 496, never buy something you don't need just because it's on sale. The other uh, next four have to do with kind of how we relate to one another. It says, number 81, avoid sarcastic remarks. Number 223, praise in public. 224, criticize in private. And then number 347, never waste an opportunity to tell someone that you love them. Number 499, this is for parents. Cherish your children for what they are, not for what you would like them to be. Number 482, get in the habit of putting your billfold and car keys in the same place when you're entering the home. I had a roommate in college who was always leaving his car keys, and I finally just said, just put them in the same place. Wow, he'd never thought of that. 497, or 479, respond promptly to RSVP invitations. They're asking you to respond, respond. Number 473, don't be rushed into making an important decision. People will understand if you say, I'd like a little more time to think it over. Can I get back to you tomorrow? Number 444, never underestimate the power of a kind word or deed. Number 438, every person you know, you meet, know something you don't. Learn from them. And then finally, number 43, never give up on anybody. Miracles happen every day. Now, what does the fact that 25 years ago this was a best-selling book tell you? And I think what it tells each one of us is that wisdom is something that we all are desperate for, something we're hungry for, especially wisdom that has stood the test of time. And the Bible contains just such a book, It's found in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and it's a series of wise sayings collected by Solomon and probably added to later, a collection of wise and often witty sayings that have been treasured by people, people of faith through the centuries, for about 2,500 years. 
For a year during the time that we lived in Switzerland, I read through the book of Proverbs. First time I read through it, I thought I was just going to read it once, and I thought it was so interesting that I decided to read through it again. This time I went through, and by each proverb, I wrote down a topic. Then I ended up doing a cut-and-paste thing with an online Bible that I had, and I uh, categorized all the Proverbs into different categories. It was kind of a year-long little deal. And the reason I did it is because I kept finding things that I thought were so important and on all sorts of subjects, subjects waning from, uh, uh, ranging from money to etiquette to marriage to raising children, observations about the power of words and the world of work, insights into why godliness matters and why crime doesn't pay. All of these things combined together. So I believe, and I don't think this is a stretch to say, that Proverbs has saved me money, made my relationships with others better, and so as we begin a new year, it would be appropriate, I think, to take a look at wisdom that has stood the test of time. Now, some of you may be familiar with the, the story of Aladdin, and if you have children, perhaps they've seen the, the film, the animated Disney feature, and I realize it's uh, probably been out for 20 plus years, so some of you younger kids may not have seen it. It was very popular when our girls were young. And there's a sequence toward the beginning of the movie, and it's famous because the voice is Robin Williams, but it has to do with Aladdin, this little street urchin, wandering into an enchanted cave, finding a magic lamp. You may not realize this, but there is a similar story in the Bible. And it's the story not of Aladdin, but of a guy named Solomon, who, asked, who is asked by God for whatever he wants. And it is God who says that he will grant him the wish. And so if you'd like, you could turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. You can find it on page 372. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm also going to read the words. They'll be on the screen, so uh, you'll be able to see. But this is from 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. It says, The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me, want to, give, me to give you. So Solomon answered, You showed great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life, for wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commandments as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and realized that it had been a dream. So in true genie fashion, God says to Solomon, what one wish would you like granted? And Solomon, who could have asked for anything, wealth, long life, all those sorts of things, success, asks for wisdom because he knows that wisdom is of ultimate value. Now Solomon had enough sense to know that he faced a complicated, overwhelming task. He sensed that human wisdom would not be enough, and so he asked for spiritual wisdom, for a discerning heart, for the ability to distinguish right from wrong. 
and he knew that this was all of ultimate value. But he also knew that wisdom is more than just knowledge, more than information. In fact, it's more than facts. Let me just give you a quick definition of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. In Proverbs, wisdom is applying God's truth to everyday things. But wisdom also differs from knowledge in that it's not just knowledge of the facts and figures kind. It is also available to all. Available to all because what Proverbs tells us is that wisdom isn't just available to the intelligent. Those are the ones we often think of as being wise. But in Proverbs, we're told that it is available to all. It's available to those who seek, who search for it in the way that we might search for buried treasure. In Proverbs chapter 2, it tells us, actually search for wisdom the way you would for treasure. It's also available to those who listen. In Proverbs 2.2, it says, turn your ear to wisdom and apply our hearts to understanding, which says that we don't just listen with our ears, we also listen with our hearts and our heads. Now, that means that the warning here is that wisdom can be refused. It can be denied. Our ability to understand is dependent upon our ability, our willingness to listen. It also needs to come to those who are willing to pay a price. If we're to get wisdom, it tells us even that it may cost us all that we have. But it only comes from God. The source of wisdom is God. In Proverbs 2, 6, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come wisdom or come knowledge and understanding. And it's something that ultimately leads to success. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. So that's the basic idea of wisdom, something that's of ultimate value that leads to success that isn't hard to find as long as you know where to look for it. Proverbs is one of the best collections of pragmatic common sense that we have anywhere in literature, let alone in the Bible. In the time that we have left, what I'd like to do is to look at 10 specific Proverbs, wisdoms that we find in Solomon's collection of wise sayings. And what we're going to find is that he has a lot of wisdom about relationships and money and planning and character and work and family and many other topics. And I want to start with one that talks about the way that we approach life. It's about integrity. And in Proverbs 10, verse 9, it says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, and whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Now, in our day, integrity is often reduced to the idea of just telling the truth. But in the Bible, integrity has to do with living a consistent life, making certain that the inside and the outsides of our lives match, that both the public and private parts of our lives are in harmony. When we live lives of integrity, we can live confidently. We're secure because there are no secrets that we are afraid of others finding out, no fear of an IRS audit or the scrutiny of our business. We're secure because we know we have nothing to hide. A second example is in Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. So this is the idea of doing good to all. Yes, they must be deserving. Yes, they need to be needy. But if it is within our power to act, we're to do good and do so without delay. I recently heard about a couple with a pretty big need, a need that was beyond their ability to meet. And friends of theirs decided to rally around them and try to help them out. Even they couldn't meet the entire need, but they've done what they can. And they've made the challenge that this couple faces a lot more manageable because they've just simply said, what can we do to do good to them? 
A third idea is about being generous. This is in chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And then this interesting phrase, it says, people curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. This particular proverb, actually three verses, but one proverb, um, is an interesting take, a novel take on the idea of generosity. So it tells us that we ought to provide direct aid, provide money or resources or assistance to an individual, but it also says that it extends even to the economic system that we may be involved in. So the author of this proverb is critical of people who have some kind of asset or resource that they could sell, but refuse to in order to drive up their profits even further. An example of that has been the EpiPen controversy of this last year. We're a, a pharmaceutical company, had a product that was selling well, had a pretty significant margin, but thought, well, because I'm really the only one in the market, maybe we'll just set the price even higher and try to gain even more profits. The author of Proverbs says, if you have something to sell and can sell it for a profit, don't try to just maximize the profit. Make certain that you benefit others as well. A fourth idea has to do with intentionality. It says in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 15, a simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. And this is the idea of being thoughtful, living an intentional life, planning wisely for our futures. A number of years ago when my children were young, um, I had lunch with a friend of mine who's a little bit older and his kids were probably eight, seven, eight years older than ours. And he said that they had gotten to the point, his daughter was, I think, at that time a ninth grader, where they realized that they had taken none of the family vacations that they had planned, they had none of the experiences that they had hoped to have with their kids. And he said, we just have three years to get this done. Now, they were a little wealthier than we are, and so they decided that they would do two vacations a year, um, I think one spring, one summer, and they decided on a plan. And that included going to Disney World, going to Colorado. I think they even took a trip to London. And they did those vacations intentionally to have those experiences together as a family. Our kids were quite a bit younger. We didn't have quite the resources, so we hatched a plan not to do two vacations a year or even one, but to do one every other year. And in the time that our kids were still at home, we were able to go to Colorado, to Washington, D.C., to New York and Boston, and we did those things intentionally. And, and vacations are great things, but I think this idea of being intentional extends way beyond just a vacation. It extends to how we pursue God to set aside time to read the Bible and pray, something we've already challenged you to do today, to find a place to serve in your church and in your community, to get connected with other Christians who can, who, so you can grow. That's why Amy talked today about growth groups. Whatever the area of life, we need to be intentional about it or it will likely not happen. A fifth idea is to de-escalate conflict. Let me read two Proverbs here. First, from 1911, it says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Or in 15, chapter 15, verse 1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What it's saying here is that our character is revealed in the way that we handle conflict. Do we escalate it, returning anger for anger? Or do we de-escalate conflict, diffusing an unnecessary argument? A few of you may know that this last year, uh, most weeks, we've had 
group of Minneapolis Police Department officers in our building going through critical incident training. So we've had anywhere from 25 to 30 officers a week being trained. I've learned just a little bit about what they are trained in, and a lot of it has to do with de-escalating conflict in order to be able to handle things peacefully. And it reminded me of something that our oldest daughter had from one of her teachers when she was in elementary school. And the teacher had a phrase, peace begins with me. And what she taught them was how they could deal with conflict. And the suggestions were things like talk it out, walk away, apologize, forgive, make a deal, ignore, or even ask someone to stop rather than just responding with anger. Peace begin with, with me is really in the spirit of these proverbs, to de-escalate rather than to escalate conflict. Number six has to do with how you deal with fools. Let me read these two, and you're going to be confused when I read them, but it uh, says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And then it says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Do we answer or do we not answer? The psychologist Henry Cloud talks about these proverbs and explains that he says, you can't deal with every single person in the same way. Some people are wise, some people are fools. He says some people are even evil. And you have to be able to tell the three apart in order to know how to respond. He says when a wise person hears the truth, they change. He even quotes Proverbs 9.9, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. He says the fools may have great gifts, but when the light shows up, they adjust the light. They dim it, they deflect it, they deny it, they do anything but own it. And the evil, he says, they have destruction in their hearts and just want to inflict pain. And how you treat people in each of these three categories is important. He says, with the wise, you can coach them. They welcome the, the feedback, they respond and try to incorporate what they can into their lives. The evil are evil, you can try to fix them, he says, but the only thing really you can do in the end is call the police. And the fools, he says, are trickier. For one, he says, talking to a fool doesn't help. They will argue, but they will never listen. So he suggests, stop talking. Develop a plan of action. You might even say, listen, unless you can make the changes that you need to make or admit you're wrong, we're not going to keep talking. Now, the point here, and it's really revealed in these Proverbs, these two Proverbs that are paired together, is that you can discern who is a fool and who is wise by how they respond to the truth that you tell them. The wise people will respond. Even if they don't agree with everything, they will listen and incorporate what they can into their lives. But the fools ignore it. So if you find when you're talking with somebody, whether it's a spouse or a coworker or just a friend, and you give them feedback and they respond well, what you know is you're dealing with somebody who's wise. And if they don't respond, you're dealing with a fool and you can stop talking. Number seven has to do with perspectives on wealth. One writer has called this the most important verses in the Bible on money. And this is what it says in chapter 30, verses seven to nine. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far, far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And what this is telling us is that, you know, we may think we're people of high character, but we're tested when we end up in one of the two extremes, either poverty or riches. What poverty may do is tempt us to steal. And if we have too much, we may be tempted to be self-reliant and forget God. 
This proverb reminds me of uh, something that Jesus taught us about prayer when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sometimes we, God refuses to answer a prayer because he knows that the answer will harm us. And in this case, this writer is wise enough to know, this writer of this proverb is wise enough to know that we need to be discerning and we need to probably not fall into one of those two extremes. Proverb number eight, it has to do with, uh, it's in chapter 18, verse 17, and it says, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. So wait before passing judgment, listen to all sides before deciding, first impressions can mislead, and justice requires that both sides need to be heard. Four or five years ago, Kathy and I were involved with a couple who don't go to City Church um, they were having some difficulties um, in their relationship, and uh, we knew them well. We knew both sides of the argument. We knew, uh, at least from our, our point of view, where were the faults on both sides. But they got someone else involved. Actually, the wife got someone else involved who listened to her story and concluded that her husband was kind of a monster. But he never listened to the husband. In fact, I challenged him to meet with the husband. He's something he refused to do. He said, I know what's right. I know, I have the discernment. And yet he didn't because he was unwilling to listen to both sides of the argument. And we can get caught in that kind of trap, listening to one side without understanding the other. It's important to hear both sides. Number nine has to do with pursuing excellence. This is from 22, uh, verse 29. Do you see a man or woman skilled in their work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. This is the idea that excellence really matters in life, that it honors God and inspires people, it's recognized by those in authority, and it's rewarded, and with great skill comes increased responsibility. So we need to be people who pursue our craft well. I've told uh, our daughters the advice that I learned, and that is when you start in a job, you want to do three things. You want to develop mastery of whatever it is you're to do. You want to build relationships and make a contribution. But it starts with being good at what you do. And then one final proverb for today has to do, uh, it's in chapter 22, verse 13, and it says this. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. So what's this one about? Well, if you know anything about proverbs, you know that the word sluggard has to do with a lazy person. And what it's saying here is that the lazy person will use any excuse, no matter how ridiculous or remote, to avoid work. They'll use irrational fear to keep us from taking on challenges. Now, I want to apply it maybe a little less to the sluggard and more to the fact that some of us sometimes are unwilling to take risks because we fear too much. We fear failure, and so we never try what we ought to try, and we don't experience the success that could come with that. I've already talked today about New Year's resolutions and the announcements and challenged you to think about reading through the New Testament. But I have another suggestion, and I got this idea from Billy Graham. Not personally, but I heard this about Billy Graham. Um, he reads the Bible, as you may know, every day. Um, and when he does, I'm told that he always reads a chapter from the book of Proverbs. So my suggestion is, on top of beginning reading the New Testament, maybe you could try to read through the book of Proverbs. And three ways you can do this. One is a really fast way, and the one is a really slow way. But here's the fast way. 
And that is to read a chapter a day for the month of January. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There are 31 days in the month of January. So if you start today reading chapter one, you can get through the book in a month. Now, if that's a little bit too much for you, how about a chapter a week? If you read just a chapter from the book of Proverbs a week, you will finish sometime in early August. And if you miss a week, maybe it'll be September, but you'll get through the book in a year. Or you could just do it the kind of haphazard way. You could just look at the day of the month and decide, I'll read that chapter today. So if it's the 12th of January or the 13th of February, you can just read the chapter that corresponds to the day of the month. Now, let me also make another suggestion, and that is every time you read a chapter, just look for one proverb that really jumps out at you and write it down. One time when I was a kid, my mother read through the book of Proverbs. We had a chalkboard in our dining room. I won't explain all why we did, but we did. And she would write down a proverb for the day while she read through the book of Proverbs. So we, as children, got benefit of what she was reading. So just write it down in a notebook or jot it down on a document you keep on your computer and just collect one proverb that you find particularly meaningful and insightful. Now, whatever one of those plans fits your schedule, pick one, and I believe it will make 2017 a wiser, more successful year. Probably the most famous verses in the book of Proverbs are in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. If we've learned anything about life, it's that we need more knowledge, but even more, we need wisdom. Wisdom starts with humility, with seeing God as the source of all wisdom. So when we trust God and follow his advice, we will find success in life. The wisdom we find in Proverbs is indeed wise words for a new year. Let's pray. Father, with the new year ahead of us, we commit to live wisely. May we value wisdom. May we search for it, listening carefully for the wisdom that comes ultimately from you. And we pray that we would experience success, not necessarily success as the world defines, but success um, as it comes to us as we seek to accomplish your purposes in and through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.